This is a special Walker Cup episode. The Back of the Range Golf Podcast will introduce you to the finest amateur golfers in the United States. Some have competed in major championships, others have won USGA titles, and many have been named All-Americans. The one thing they all have in common? They all want to be one of 10 men chosen to represent their country at the 47th Walker Cup matches at Royal Liverpool Golf Club. This is The Road to Hoylake, presented by AmateurGolf.com. And now your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome back to The Road to Hoylake, presented by AmateurGolf.com. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. Our first episode in this series introduces you to a couple California guys that have 10 years between them, but are both playing some fantastic golf, and at least one of them is already preparing for the Walker Cup at Hoylake. So I had a chance to reconnect with Stuart Hagestad, the 2016 U.S. Mid-Amateur Champion, a couple weeks before it was announced that he would receive one of the automatic selections along with Cole Hammer and Akshay Batia. So when you listen to our conversation, he didn't know that he was on the team yet. And as a little postscript, I did text him that day that he did get the call from the USGA, and he basically said that he had been thinking about that moment for the last two years since playing on the 2017 U.S. team. We didn't get too deep into his start into the game or his experience playing in the Masters in 2017 because we did that on episode 52 last year. So that episode link can be found in the show notes. During this conversation, we spoke about the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach and what his summer plans were leading up to the Walker Cup. I also had a chance to speak with William Mao from Chino, California. He is the 2019 California State Amateur Champion and will be attending Pepperdine as a freshman this fall. William played on the inaugural Junior President's Cup team in 2017 with Batia and Hammer, and he's looking to make a strong push to make another national team. Regardless of what happens in the next few weeks, I was really impressed with William. He's a good kid with clear goals and a solid family behind him. He's someone to definitely get to know and keep your eye on at the U.S. Amateur at Pinehurst. William is currently playing in the Western Amateur. He did make the cut and stroke play, so best of luck to him the rest of the way. Just a little bit of housekeeping. These episodes are going to come at you fast, so I want to get them all out before the final match of the U.S. Amateur on August 18th. So make sure that you're subscribed in Apple Podcasts and Spotify to get the latest episodes in this series. Don't forget to follow on AmateurGolf.com for in-depth information during the upcoming weeks. As always, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you need any of that information, go to thebackoftherange.com. So before we get to our conversations with Stuart and William, let's welcome back Julie Williams, Managing Editor at AmateurGolf.com, to get some insight from the world of amateur golf this week. Julie, welcome back. Thanks for having me back. I am I'm in Western Amateur mode this week. This is uh, so so we just finished 36 holes of the 72 holes of stroke play at the Western Amateur. Uh, top 16 after 72 holes will advance to match play. So without putting you on the spot too much, you've seen 36 holes. You see the leaderboard. Um, what are your what are your kind of your initial thoughts right now? Honestly, I am surprised how many big names are didn't make the 36 hole cut so the first cut fell today and i'm looking at the guys under that line uh one of them is cole hammer defending champion yeah um another guy who i thought would definitely be in the running steven fisk he's the georgia southern graduate uh, sure. also on our walker cup list isaiah salinda didn't make it 
another kid who I've been watching this summer is Cooper Dossie. He won the North and South. Um, I think Cooper Dossie is, is, a, is a pretty cool kid, fun to watch. And, and I was surprised. I thought he had enough good uh, momentum going. Having won the North and South, qualified for the U.S. Amateur, he might have a good week this week. But um, so, so I think it kind of opens up who might have a shot at that match play bracket. Um, interestingly, I, I looked this up before the start of the tournament. So the sweet 16 or the 16 players who make it to match play to then um, play off for the, the championship, obviously nine of those players from last year's sweet 16 were in the tournament this year. And only one of those guys is left. And that's Spencer Ralston. Wow. So yeah. Interesting stat there. So th- I know they moved the the tournament site around, and this is the first time I believe in about 10 years that it's at Point of Woods up in Michigan. There's just so many factors with this tournament. The length of it is so grueling. And then also, I- I'm, I'm wondering if some of the big names that you mentioned, are they just thinking about the fact that it's this tournament, it's the USAM, and that's the end of me putting together my body of work before the Walker Cup team gets chosen? I do wonder about that. I, I would think that I would think that there's some pressure to play well this week, but there's also, you know, this is important, but the U.S. amateur is maybe more important. So you probably want to be peaking and coming out of this week playing better. Of course, that didn't seem to bother Cole Hammer last year. He won this tournament and then went on to the semifinals and had a great week at the U.S. amateur. But I think you're right. It's not really a rest in the summer if you're a top college player you don't really get time off <laughs> no no these guys have to just kind of put the hammer down and get as much many top finishes as they can to put themselves in the best position possible to make that team yeah so i i wonder how fatigue is is playing in but something you know kind of an, an under the radar name that's up near the top is daniel wetterick who is an ohio state player he just finished his eligibility there but he has been in the mix, in the conversation, all summer long, he had the first-round lead at the Dogwood, like, at the very start of the summer. And he's kind of been on the road every week, and I see his name up in the top 10 and the top 20, and he's got a share of the lead after 36 holes. So he's, he's kind of a quiet player, and he's not somebody who, you know, is we would have on our Walker Cup watch list, but he's somebody who I've been sort of intrigued about. I, I like talking, like, strategy and and uh, just talking golf with Daniel Wetterick. I've talked to him several times this summer, and, um, I, you know, I think he's just enjoying the summer amateur circuit, so I kind of like that. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot of really interesting names. There's a lot of juniors up there. There's just, um, you know, it's too early to kind of get too far down the road of who we like, so hopefully yeah. in the next uh, in our next installment of the Road to Hoy Lake, we'll be a little bit closer, and maybe that round of 16 will be a little bit uh, clearer to take a look at, and we can talk about who... Uh, who maybe you like moving forward uh, with regards to this episode, we're going to talk, we're going to talk about Stuart Hagestad. As I mentioned, we're going to visit with William Mao, uh, both California guys. So just to kind of give maybe the listeners a little bit of an insider, uh, maybe some insight on these two guys. What is, what has been your experience with them maybe throughout your, your time at amateurgolf.com? So I most recently saw Stuart Hagestad at the players amateur earlier this month. He, <laughs> Opened with an 11 under 61 uh, in the first round, and nobody got even within four shots of that score um, that day. And it was 
it was very, it was a very humbling post round interview with Stuart Hagestad. He said, you know, I got to like eight under and I, you know, had to sort of check myself because when was the last time I got to eight under? Yeah. And, of co- and of course he finished it and, and had a 61 and he didn't quite finish off that tournament. He finished um, second to Stuart or to um, Spencer Ralston, but he is a, a very calm guy who I think keeps things in perspective very well. That comes with age. I would think he's 28 years old. But he is, I think, would play that sort of um, very needed role of maybe you would even call it like the big brother in the sure, team room. Yeah, I think that that's been I th- that is one of the major advantages of having a mid amateur on your team, and we've seen guys play that role before. I think probably Nathan Smith like invented that role, <laughs> and and so. But I think Stuart Hagestad knows a lot of these guys. Um, they, there was definitely banter, you know, between him and a lot of these college guys during the round after the round. So he, he fits in well, he's not that much older than they are, to be honest with you, but I like kind of the cool, calm demeanor of Stuart Hagstad. I think that brings a lot to the team. William Mao is technically a junior. He'll, he'll head to Pepperdine in the fall, but he's going to be part of this great Pepperdine team that keeps winning events this year. Um, when I kind of keyed into William Mao this summer was when he won the California amateur, which had a, which had a stroke play component. But before that, I mean, he hit the junior circuit pretty hard in the last year. So a lot of his experience comes from junior golf, but that's not a bad thing because he played on a junior president's cup. He played on a Wyndham cup team, which is the AJGA kind of inner team, uh, you know, match play and, and team competition. So he has that team experience, you know, it's, it's not just playing, you know, stroke play events, but um, I think it's interesting to keep an eye on William Mao and see if, we could end up with two juniors on that Walker Cup team. Well, I mean, he's ranked 20th in the world. He's he's really just right there, and it almost looks like if he can really make a big splash here at the Western and then back it up with something at the USAM, yeah, it, it's just so interesting to see what's going to happen because there's just a just everyone's kind of bunched up in this spot where it's just like they're all – anyone makes a big move, and it looks like it's going to put them on that team. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think um, I think we're, I'm really keyed into what's going to happen this week and at the U.S. Amateur because it's like you know it's the it's the last push and there's a lot of pressure. Julie, as always, thanks again for your time. Look forward to speaking to you on the next episode of the Road to Hoylake, and we'll talk more about the Western Amateur as uh, as the final matches come into shape. Yeah, thanks for having me. Julie, thanks so much for the insight. I look forward to speaking with you on the next episode of The Road to Hoylake. Let's get to our conversations with Stuart and William. Stuart, welcome back to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. Appreciate the time. How are you? Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, um, happy to be here. Well, you, you survived the first interview you did last December, and uh, it, it didn't seem to hurt you too much. You've had a, a very nice 2019. Uh, got to enjoy your third straight U.S. Open and uh, Pebble Beach, no less. Been doing a lot of Pebble Beach. You had the USAM, you had the US Open. Maybe can you just get into just the difference you saw at the USAM at Pebble and then the US Open at Pebble? I've got to be honest, it really wasn't that different. And like, it was just more complete. So like strictly from the golf course, it was very similar. Um, Like there were pockets of the rough 
at the USAM that, that were higher where, you know, kind of if you miss the fairway, you're in a real tough spot. So the rough kind of, you know, along the fairways and around the greens was was just more of that. It was it was more consistent um, and kind of what you'd expect from a US Open. But it wasn't by any stretch like, you know, unfair. It was just it was just kind of what you'd expect. Um, that graduated rough that, that they talk about. And uh, like it was great. And then they brought in a few of the fairways. So they brought in the ones that come to mind or they brought in two a little well one two four eight nine you couldn't use the right side at all 11 15 16 maybe 14 a little bit especially in the second shot but but all those holes are kind of like like if you miss the fairway that's on you like you were hitting four iron off the tee you know not necessarily 11 but like i mean it was great it was it was, but to me and to my eye it was very similar to the usam and and i think a lot of the boys that, that played both would would say the same and then obviously like just from like the hospitality standpoint and the crowds and it's just much more of a production, like it's way bigger. And, um, again, that's like fairly obvious, but just, sure. um, from just that standpoint of it, um, if you'd never played one before and maybe didn't know what to expect, it was maybe a little more eye opening. but, um, no, it was, it was about kind of what I expected it would be like. It's, it was, uh, compared to Shinnecock, well, I'll, I'll say this compared to Shinnecock, it, um, there was nothing super intimidating about it. When they're playing the US Open, there's obviously tons and tons of amateurs that are there, whether they make it through sectional, whether they're there through, um, you know, any other exemptions that they've received. Did you find yourself kind of connecting or veering towards some of the other amateurs or were you trying to pick the pick the brains of any of the pros? I'm kind of wondering, this is not your first first venture into US Open and to multiple USGA championships, but um, did you find yourself um, gravitating towards anyone while you were there? Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um, so this was the first one that I genuinely didn't feel super intimidated by. Like okay. I wasn't in a rush to get there. Um, I didn't feel out of place when I was there. I, I will say I, I did get sick early in that week and I wish I would have played a little better. Not necessarily that I would have done anything crazy or, you know, maybe even challenged Victor because that was just a psychopathic performance on his end. That was wild. Yeah. Um, I don't think anyone's ever going to, I'll be very surprised if he ever skips Pebble beach for the rest of his career. He's had a pretty good run there. <laughs> yeah. He's doing okay there. He's had a good run. Um, so yeah, but you know, just it, like from, you know, making the cut and doing something really nice. Um, I was one outside the line with five to go on Friday. And you know, if I had maybe felt a little bit better earlier in the week, I had two good front nines and two poor back nines. And I genuinely believe Again, not to sit here and make excuses or anything like that, but you know, I think that if I was maybe a little sharper mentally and my body felt a little better, that you know, I would have had a little bit more of a cushion. But you know, it is what it is; stuff happens. Um, but from just like a preparation standpoint, and anyone that I kind of gravitated towards, not really, and nothing, nothing at all against the other Rams. Like it's an amazing experience for everyone, but. You know, you, I've always kind of felt like you play your best when it's just another event and mm -hmm. you feel like you've prepared properly in the right way. And I kind of tried to treat it like any other event. Obviously, it's a U.S. Open and obviously it's a big deal, but I've gotten through sectionals, you know, a few times now. And, you know, I've been fortunate to play in four majors, I guess you could say. Obviously, both the U.S. Open and the Masters are a little different, but um, I don't know. I really just kind of tried to get in this mindset that if I go out and I play play my game, you know, to what I'm capable of, I could go out and shoot a good number. So this was the first one where I felt, you know, kind of more at ease and more, um, just more comfortable, I guess. And, uh, I think 
you know, hopefully that'll continue going forward. But, you know, we're getting close to, uh, I know the Walker Cup is something that's uh, very near and dear to your heart. You're a member of the Victorious team uh, in 2017 at LA Country Club. This year we're over at, uh, U.S. team is going over to Liverpool, to Royal Liverpool at Hoylake. So I guess one of the questions I want to ask you is, what is kind of a schedule that you're putting together for the summer? Obviously, the U.S. Ams at Pinehurst, I'm pretty sure we're going to see you there. But uh, what are some of the other things, other tournaments you're going to be playing in this summer to kind of put yourself in a good spot? Yeah. Um, so I've obviously played the Open, and then I played the Northeast Am. Um, I've got about two weeks off now. It's, it's, it's the 27th, so... I'll probably leave for that on the seventh or the eighth, and I'll I'll do that. Um, it's a great field. I've actually played the golf course a long time ago. It's where I went to high school, um, so I'm looking forward to going back for the first time in about ten years. That'll be neat, literally ten years. Um, so I'll play the Players Am, and then uh, got I guess my one my one fun event of the of the summer from uh, an outside of a golf perspective. I've got a wedding after that, which nice. will be fun. Yeah, one of my best friends in New York, or two of my best friends in New York, I guess. Um, that'll be that'll be really fun. So uh, then I've got two weeks off. I, I haven't fully made a decision, but I'm pretty committed to not going to the Western. I'd love to, but I was Brandon Wu and I were selected to go to the Pan American Games in Lima, Peru. I have tried to kind of commit to to playing no more than two weeks in a row. And if I were to do the Western and then the Pan Am Games and then the USAM, it would just be a really kind of a lot. Well, and the other thing, too, is, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, you have the advantage of just about everyone except for maybe one or two guys on this short list. You have the experience playing on the team, but I almost think it's just as important. You have the experience of a summer leading up to making a team. So you know kind of how to set a schedule, not get too worn out, and you know how to, I guess, remain calm throughout this process of putting yourself in the right spot to get a pick. So that's a really good observation because it's true. You're someone that has been on the team and you're someone that has, that has endured the summer leading up to the team. What is just a general recommendation you can make to these guys that are on the short list that were with you at the practice session in December? Um, I mean, depending on kind of where you are, I mean, it's, sure. it's obviously it's, it's a very challenging thing because you truly, you can't make any promises. And, you know, you, while you, you kind of know where you stand in regards to your tournament resume and your world ranking, you know, at the same time, you also kind of, I, I think it's important, like in any aspect of life, like, you know, that it is an anonymous decision and it's not completely out there in the open. Like what makes, what, what made the phone call for me so much fun and making the team so much fun in 2017 was up until the moment I got the phone call, I had so much anxiety of whether or not it was good enough. And, you know, that sounds terrible and stressful and a little unfair. And I completely empathize with a lot of people that, you know, were on the other side of that. But at the same time, you know, just to me, it was just the most rewarding weightlifting experience. And obviously, like, I hope to continue to build my case to, you know, represent the USGA in the United States and obviously everything that goes with it. But at the same time, one thing that I thought was really interesting that Colin Morikawa said during the week in 2017 was he, he had a really good understanding. I, I think the world of Colin and his game, and he's just, he's really, he just kind of gets it. Yeah. He knows how to best manage himself and everything that he's doing, but um, he didn't want to 
go and tire himself out. Like he took a week or week and a half long vacation sometime in like July to just give his body and his mind and just everything a rest. And I think that, you know, having the opportunity to kind of, you know, take some time off and kind of understand where you are can be really beneficial. So um, I think time off is important. You put yourself through a ton of stress and a ton of nervous energy. And, you know, it. the reason it's such a big deal is obviously because it means so much to you as well. And, you know, it's a neat opportunity, but I think it's important to, to, to take time off and to, to give yourself the best chance to play well, even if instead of playing six or seven events, maybe you only play five or whatever it may be. You know, you were at the practice session in December down here in South Florida without mentioning certain names of guys. Uh, how, how encouraged were you at the, at the youth and at the quality of, of guys, not just what the, you know, we can all, they can all hit the shots and they can all make the putts, but how encouraged were you when you saw the group that was there in South Florida? I mean, the kids are all really good. They're only getting better. Yeah. And it's, it's almost discouraging is not the right word, but it's almost eye opening. <laughs> just like, I mean, the easy example is, I mean, Akshay's 17 and he's hitting shots that, you know, guys on tour, you know, they're playing in the funnel groups are hitting down the stretch. And I mean, you look at guys, you know, Will Gordon since turn pro, obviously Wolf was down there. I mean, you could go down the list, shoot all those kids, just kept the heck out of it. Yeah. Even, even like, a, like, it's funny, you know, an easy example would be like an Alex Smalley who is, you know, about as sexy as, you know, whole wheat toast. You know, the reason his game is so good is because he hits it, it's because he hits it 310 on a string and he wedges it. Like, he literally epitomizes, you know, would you take, you know, hitting it, you know, on the green 20 feet for birdie 72 times? It's like, well, well yeah, well, there's a reason he's top 10 in the world or whatever he is. Yeah. So, I mean, everyone's, everyone's just really, really good. Everyone knows their game. Everyone's confident in their game. It's, it's, they're all, all the kids are just super impressive. So do you think he knows that he's as sexy as whole wheat toast, or is this going to be the first he's learning of this? No, I just, I tried to go through my, my Rolodex of, of terrible expressions. <laughs> and that's the one I settled on. <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully I'm going to be talking to him soon. Hopefully he'll be okay with that. All right. Well, Stu, we've done it before. I appreciate you taking the time. I, I hope the, Hope everything goes well with your summer. Uh, get some rest, and uh, I know you're going to be preparing for for September. And uh, all the best to you this summer. Uh, thank you so much. Nice to talk to you as well. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Stuart. Appreciate the time as always. And it can be said now: Congrats on securing your spot on the 2019 United States Walker Cup team. Our next guest here at the Road to Hoylake is looking to join Stu on the Walker Cup team. He is the 20th ranked amateur in the world incoming freshman at Pepperdine this fall and the former number one ranked junior in the world. William Mao, welcome to the road to Hoylake. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me out here. Absolutely. So we're, we're getting ready and ramping up. You've had a phenomenal summer, um, you know, leading into the USM leading into a run and making the Walker cup team. Uh, you know, this is your final year as a, as a junior golfer and you know, you pick up, you know, picked up the Thunderbird Junior this year, and then also just capped off the California State Amateur. How have it, how's it been the last couple months as you're kind of prepping to go into the USAM? Yeah, it's been good. Um, I've been working hard every day to prepare for USAM and hopefully some other things as well. Uh, I've been putting in uh, a lot of mental prep for these tournaments and, uh, a lot of great hard work. That's what it comes down to. Let me ask you this. You mentioned mental prep. You've made this big jump. You're going from junior amateur tournaments to, you know, USAM. You were, you were in the round of 16 last year at Pebble Beach. When you say mental preparation, 
what are you doing maybe now that you didn't do maybe three years ago? Yeah, just a different different approach of the whole game about, you know, just you could it could come anywhere from match play to stroke play, about not looking into the future as much, you know, staying in the present, um, staying patient, no expectations on yourself. And it, it does take a lot of pressure off yourself. And that helped for me. That freed me up to play, you know, to play some of my better golf which was awesome. Um, I, I have to ask, so give me, you know, a lot of people that I've had on the podcast, I, I love trying to find out the origins of how they get into the game of golf. Some grow up at a country club. Some get dropped off at the at the Muni uh, course by their parents. Um, how did you actually get into the game of golf? Yeah, so my dad and his brothers grew up playing. And as a kid, I loved all kinds of sports. And my dad and the early nineties was trying to play on the mini tours. And so, and then once he had me as a kid, when I was like maybe two or three, I, he dragged me along onto the course. Sure. And I used to just watch him play and I kind of learned from watching him swing the club. And then sure enough, I just started to swing the club and it, it came, uh, I just fell in love with it. So, so your, your dad tried to run the mini tours, which is, uh, I know all over the country, there are mini tours and it's just, it's a tough way to make a living. So it is, um, which I guess you have a, you, you kind of have to put a finite amount of time on that. And then if you make it great, if not, it's just, it's kind of tough to, to sustain exactly. a living doing that. So, um, your, your dad, you know, gave up the, the dream and, and of trying to pursue it as a professional, uh, you know, a lot of people fall back to like, you know, a, a field of business, whether it's real estate exactly. or, or, uh, you know, or, or insurance, or maybe they're going to be, um, you know, working a, as an executive or in sales. Uh, what's your dad doing these days? Yeah. So growing up in uh, college, he was trying to play on the mini tours, but also was delivering eggs and buying and selling eggs already in college, starting his business. That's a first that we've had here. Um, he he sells. Is this the family business now? It is now. It started out real small about 20, 24 years ago. So farming in my family is huge. My uncle had a farm. My grandpa still has a farm in Iowa. Um, wow. Sioux Center, Iowa. He has one million chickens over there. So growing up, um, my dad followed in my grandpa's steps for the farm. And yeah, he just started to do that. And he's he's one of the best I've ever seen at it. Okay, so um, we're going to get back to golf, but I, I have a little bit of a farming background in the state of Kansas, so we, we shared a little bit of that in common. Talk to me about, I mean, you're growing up on a farm. Like, what, what, what did you do to help out when you're on the farm? Oh, yeah. Um, it taught me um, if there was work needed around the farm, you would definitely, the family is the first to help out. Sure. So it really taught me how to, uh, nothing it would be given to you. I had to work for everything. Um, it taught me work ethic. Uh, it taught me how to make money. And growing up on a farm and learning how to work hard and seeing my dad work hard every day taught me how to not take things for granted or my talent and use it to the full for me. Well, and the other thing I keep thinking about is, you know, you're a former number one ranked junior amateur in the world. Uh, those chickens don't really care about that, do they? No, no. They just care about, can you feed me and give me water? <laughs> okay. So, 
Um, so yeah. let, let me ask you this. Um, have, have there been tournaments that you've won where, I mean, everyone there is just patting you on the back saying you're the best, you're the greatest boy, great, great tournament. What an accomplishment. And then you come back home and you have farm chores to do. Has that happened more than once where just like go from the highest of highs to now maybe you're cleaning out a chicken coop? <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. So I, after I, uh, won the Western junior, um, there was some rain back home and one of our buildings fell over okay. and, uh, we had to go immediately when we landed, we had to go catch the chickens that got out and rebuild the building that fell down. Okay. So literally the day or two after was right back to work. And there was, that was funny. That was fun. Western junior amateur champion running around chasing chickens on his farm. That's right. Day after. Perfect. Okay. That's awesome. Um, not that it's awesome that the building fell down, but that's just, I think it's a perfect example of, of humility and this is life. And yeah, so that's perfect. Um, I'd love to talk uh, about this for, for hours, but we're going to actually move on to to your golf achievements here. You're, you're currently the uh, number 21 ranked amateur in the world, number 10 ranked uh, American amateur, so you're you're in that perfect spot to make a final push to uh, to get yourself a spot on the Walker Cup team. You picked up the amateur championship for California this year, played at Monterey Peninsula. What are some of the other courses that you've been able to play in California that people that are listening to this podcast would just kind of shake their head and say, man, that how do you get access to those places? As uh, as these top ranked amateurs, we get to play on some unbelievable courses. Uh, Monterey Peninsula Country Club, one of the most um, private clubs in uh, you know Central California, and what a great what a great venue to have a, a wonderful tournament at. So that one was pretty amazing. Um, you know Pebble Beach um, was was unbelievable. So the thing I also wanted to ask you is that you know your your dad was on the bag for you at at the State Am if I uh, if I have that right. Um, no, that is right. Yeah. What's uh, what's the dynamic? I mean, not just having a parent, but a parent that you know, good player in his own right. Um, how how does how do you guys kind of unplug the father son dynamic when you're on the course working together? He totally was a great guy to lean on for you know being calm. He would always stay calm. Um, he would. You know, help me out with patience, breathing, all the stuff that you need, which obviously. And it was great to lean on him for that. You know, you pick up that win. Now, I'm sure that you had already committed to Pepperdine. That's where you're going to go to college. That's where you're going to play for the Waves. And for maybe people listening, seeing, listening to your accomplishments, you know, making the top six or the uh, the final 16 in the USAM last year and, and all these junior tournaments, AJGA success that you've had and being a number one ranked junior junior in the world, they may think, well, okay, I would maybe think that he would be attending maybe a different university like a, like a UCLA or a Stanford or a USC right. or maybe something, one of the other California schools. Maybe Pepperdine isn't the main name that would be identifiable. But um, you you felt I'm assuming that Pepperdine was just a perfect fit. How did how did Pepperdine get on your radar? You know I toured a lot of great great uh, universities around here USC UCLA, unbelievable. Um, but growing up freshman year, 
I uh, Pepperdine was uh, Coach Beard, unbelievable coach, and how he held himself really attracted me to the campus and the golf team. And uh, you know, we have a great team coming up, and I'm just you know happy to be a part of it. The faith background, the campus really led me towards it too. I'm happy to move my faith on over there at Pepperdine. So yeah, it was a lot of great things. I'm very excited to go there. Well, I, I did a little bit of research and I saw some of the pictures of the campus. It's right in Malibu. I mean, I, I mean, unbelievable. I, yeah. I mean, get out of here. Cause I know you like to surf. I know you like to hang out at the beach and I'm, yeah, I'm looking at these so. pictures. I'm like, how do you just not, I mean, <laughs> how do you not pick that place? Right. So yeah, I'm also a big, big beach guy. You know, when I'm home, you know, I'd go practice in the morning, but towards the afternoon and sunset, I'd love to go to the beach and surf and boogie board with my friends and enjoy it. And, you know, that's what that's what I'm going to get at Pepperdine as well. So I felt like it was really a really good fit and home for me to develop my game and grow in my faith and, you know, get to the next level of golf because Coach Beard is so knowledgeable and I really feel like he can develop our team and me to the next level. Well, you're talking about the next level and, and you're getting ready to go play in the, uh, in the U S amateur this year. And, and I know that the Walker cup is something that is on your radar. It would not be the first time that you were playing for your country. You were actually, you know, just such an incredible experience. I would have to imagine playing the junior president's cup in 2017. A lot of names that uh, are very familiar to people that follow amateur golf, whether it be Trent Phillips and, you know, Cole yeah. Hammer, Garrett Barber, all those guys, you know, Akshay uh, Batia was there. So I know it was an inaugural. I know it was everyone's first time doing something like that. But yeah, was it more of an exhibition or was it something that you looked at as a very serious competition? What was kind of your experience at, at the Junior President's Cup? Oh, no, it was it was an honor to play on the inaugural Junior President's Cup. I think it's something that will be in my memory forever. You know, having a captain like David Toms and an honorary captain like Jack Nicholas is just something you can't put into words. Um, you know, and just playing with a lot of great other players such as Cole Hammer and Trent Phillips and Akshay and Garrett. And uh yeah, there's just you know, it was really fun to put on a put a put a team together like that and battle against another great um international team. It was just such a honor to play on it were there certain leaders on that team did you find yourself being somewhat vocal or did you find yourself trying to figure out your place on the team how did that everything kind of like that shake out I think we were all still trying to figure out you know our positions because you know it was the first one we didn't quite know what we were getting into right but uh I felt like towards uh alternate shot and singles we really came together and we really put a put a beating on the international team because we found <laughs> each other's our uh our vibe so that's pretty cool. Yeah, for people that don't understand the difference, I mean, the difference in complexity with alternate shot as opposed to just you know best ball or four ball. Um, right. What are what are some of the things that you did to to help yourself and help your team in alternate shot? Because that's the only format in Walker Cup except for singles, obviously. Right. So um, yeah, alternate shot is is tough. You know, you uh, first of all, you can't really get mad at yourself or your partner. Because you know things are going to happen, and you got to you really have to un- you have to expect the unexpected when you're playing. And uh, I actually got to play with uh, my teammate Joe Highsmith that I get to play at Pepperdine with, and we had a great we had a great time there. Um, learned a lot, 
yeah, you got to focus on make sure, you know, try to get your ball in the fairway for your partner to hit on the green. I think it's big in placement where you put the ball in alternate shot. Sure. And once you do that, I feel like putts are going to start dropping. If you, if you give you or your partner a chance to, you know, make a putt, I think good things will happen then. Well, it sounds like a great strategy. It's just, and I also think it's just one of those things that we don't play a lot of over here in the United States. It seems to be more in the golfing culture in the UK. Doesn't seem like we play a lot of it here. I think that's one, one downfall that we have. Um, The one thing I wanted to ask is, you know, maybe this, the state of the modern game is something that always gets discussed on TV or on social media. You know, it seems to be everywhere where people are you know, talking about the, how far everyone hits it, how far the young guys hit it. And, you know, that, that, yeah. that conversation kind of gets brought up by people like me in, in the ages of, you know, maybe 30 to 50. And it's not really talked about maybe on the, for, from, from juniors or, or amateurs. Is that an approach that you take to the game? Is it a bomb and gouge or just, I'm just going to hit as far as I can and just go find it. Is that something that's, a strategy or is it just the fact that this is the equipment that you grew up with and this is the golf ball that you have right and i'm just kind of curious from a junior's perspective an elite junior elite amateur what is your kind of take on what the modern game is there's millions of strategy strategies you can use and one of them is bashing the ball it depends what course setup they have for you such as you know last week um at inverness the usga grew the rough out so usually bashing the ball was not an ideal strategy for that course. Sure. Maybe an iron off the tee on a couple holes could put you in a better position than being 150 out in the rough, which is, you know, it's three, four inches long, which is just really hard. So I feel like, yeah, growing up with the, everyone says the ball goes so far. I feel like they've lengthened the courses. So, you know, short hitters are still going to have the same problem if they don't change the ball, if they keep the ball. So that's how I kind of feel. Yeah. Well, the U.S. Junior, I think you guys are playing that at, what, about 7,400 yards? Yeah, we play 7,400 yards, par 71. So doesn't get much tougher than that. No, that was that was pretty hard. What uh, What's your schedule for the rest of the summer? What are you working on? What, uh, what you're kind of what are you putting yourself uh, or how are you putting yourself in the best spot to, uh, to, to get ready for college and also potentially make that team? So, yeah, I got the uh, Western amateur. And uh, after that is the USAM, which is going to be a great opportunity as well. Um, you know, me and my coach, we're really working on, uh, you know, short game, the whole mental outcome of how to approach each tournament. I think that is really important for us, for us amateurs to, um, take in and learn from our last tournaments of what we can do differently and improve for these coming tournaments. And I feel like if I, you know, give it my all, I feel like, you know, I'll be pleasantly surprised of the results. I don't like to look at results. I looked at, I like to look at the process of each day, how I take it in each tournament. So I feel like if I give myself a great opportunity and stay in the present, I feel like good things are going to happen and uh the, i would love to play on uh, the walker cup but it's not out yet so i got a lot of work to clean up here and uh if i get to play on it i would love to represent my country and i would give it my all for sure that's great you mentioned hitting golf balls on the farm what is so 
what is your setup there? Do you have a place where you hit from and yardages? I mean, is this just a yeah. hitting balls out in the back just for, for no purpose? Or do you have like, do you have something set up? Yeah, I, I do. There's uh, okay. I have one spot in the corner by my basketball hoop that I, it's 178 yards to the back. So I know I can hit a nice full nine iron into the wind and it'll be like, you know, 10 yards short. And I, and I try to get as many balls as I can equal with the little pin there around hundred, you know, 168 yards. And, you know, it's, it's dirt back there. So I get to go get them and then bring them back again. And it's just fun to see if, you know, I'm carrying it and see if my distance control is good. And, uh, yeah, so it's pretty cool. That's and awesome. If, yeah. And if I want to move it back, you know, I'll move it all the way back to our, our driveway in the front and you can get almost 75 to a hundred more yards on it. So it, it becomes like, you know, a nice little hybrid out there. You can launch out there. It's 280 yards, which is awesome. Those yardages are a little bit out of my uh, uh, range, but, uh, but sure. Okay. <laughs> Whatever you say, William, I agree. Um, well, that, that sounds fun. Um, well, William, this has been uh, a lot of fun. Uh, I, I wish you the best at Pepperdine. I wish you the best for the rest of the summer. Uh, yeah, thanks, Ben. It sounds like you're right there with, you know, wherever you want to go with this. And, and it looks like you got a great opportunity to make this year's team and hopefully many more so we wish you the best enjoy the rest of the summer and uh, hopefully we'll talk soon i will thanks ben thanks for having me and there you have it special thanks to Stuart hagestad and william mao for joining us this time also thanks to julie williams from amateurgolf.com she'll be adding insight and information on every episode in this series we'll see you again next time on the road to hoylake here at the back of the range